Hello there. We're trying to keep Coral Chihuahua going, and so we draw your attention to the possibility of listening to us on Patreon for just a few quid a month. This also magically gets rid of the ads. That's Patreon with an E, patreon.com forward slash Coral Chihuahua. On with the app. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ah, Leather Lane. Leather Lane near Hoban. And my favourite coffee bar in the world. This is Proof Rocks. And I've got the last of the cake. It's a sort of lemony thing. And a sort of Ethiopian espresso. Oh, sheer heaven. Mm. <laughs> hey, Sammy, how you doing? Good, good, good. Uh, here we are in London. Say the words. Welcome to London. And welcome to... Coral Chihuahua. <laughs> cool suspension. So, yeah, welcome to this bit of London. I don't know this bit terribly well. We're near Hatton Gardens, all the jewellery quarter. It's just over there. That's right. It's lovely, isn't it? We rehearse quite near here, don't we, for... Um in Exmouth Market. That's right. Lovely. Good uh, coffee. Very good coffee. We, we do tend to try and find the place with the best coffee nearby. No other reason than that. <laughs> no. Uh, the first Italian church uh, in London, uh, around the corner from here, I've just been in. I had absolutely no idea. Um, and restored buildings, buildings burnt down after the Great Fire of London in 1666. Uh, so not really antiques at all because they're new. It's like the time I went into Hagia Sophia in Istanbul. <laughs> And the guide was saying, of course, it's been ruined by the renovations. And we're all thinking, 1970s, it means 1050 or something. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, so what are we going to hear first? Uh, I've got en curiosité, unless you're Norwegian, because this was quite a big thing in Norway at the time. It's a disc called Bergtat. It's the Oslo Chamber Choir, which Greta Pedersen uh, set up in 1980-ish, mm. um, and which she's conducting here. And it's, I ask you to think, this is an amateur choir, doesn't sound like it. Um, and this is an extremely funky piece of folk music. Don't ask me to translate the Norwegian because there isn't an English tra- translation. <laughs> Thank you. 
Councillor Chamberquai, greater person, with certain supplementary instrumentalists. What do you think? It's cool, isn't it? Lots to like. It's loads of... Um, it takes quite a lot, I think, to sound that spontaneous. It's a lot of rehearsal to get to that point, isn't it? Because it's precise. It's, it sounds crude and, and kind of uh, off the cuff, but it's absolutely together and, and well-drilled, you'd say. I don't know how many conductors could do that. She, she studied folk music as well as choral conducting. Now, of course, she's conductor, been conductor for years of the Norwegian Soloists Choir, as well as doing Carmel Bach Festival and all sorts, mm. and comes over here occasionally. Have you ever met her? Never met her, no. Never met her. Oh, nor I. Um, yeah, fantastic. Just incredible feel-good. I think I remember having that. I've had that for 20 years, that CD. Oh. I think I was given it by a member of the Norwegian Music uh, Board or something. We turned up for a gig and he was there. It was the gig when Roddy and I missed the plane and only turned up 40 minutes before the concert, which the promoter failed to see the funny side of. Strange that, isn't it? It was one of our stage programmes as well, scary. Anyway, um, and, and they gave me this pile of CDs of stuff by Norwegian composers, and that one just sort of... Uh, if you go to Spotify and look it up, it's that track there, which is the first track, is not the one with all the listens. The ones with all the listens are, I think, well-known Norwegian folk tunes um, that people have gone to, but that, I think, is a... Uh, that's great. And the, the particular track, it's called, oh dear, De Yondalen Ok Frey. Uh, yeah, Bjart Eike will be, will be ringing in a correction. Te Yondalen Ok Frey. And the full title is Nu vi eg a Te Yondalen Ok Frey. Now I am going to the Yond Valley to propose. A typisk engelsk ignorance or idioti. But a uh, nice try. So not a piece either of us has ever performed, and, and uh, nor are we likely to. I wonder if there's sheet music for it, but that's got um, a Jew's harp in it, before mm. anyone asks, has no relation to the Jews at all. Although it's thought that possibly uh, Jews brought it over here and were selling, uh, selling them. Um, but that's the thing that you put in the front of your mouth and you, you use your mouth to amplify the harmonics uh, of the fundamental. you extract your Jew's harp once in a while for the gigs? Uh, no, that was my actual harp. Ah, oh, I thought you. I thought you had a Jew's harp as well. No. Uh, or if I have, I've sort of um, I buried all, all memory of that. Right. I did have a harp crack in the middle of a before, uh, in the middle of a rehearsal once, and uh, Lindsay Wagstaff, who was singing with us at the time, hit the deck because it made it sound like a rifle shot, and her husband was military, and she'd learnt. Excellent. To, to go to go fast pace. No, I used to play something called the Planctus David by Pierre Abelard to my own accompaniment. I would sing it. Um, it became known as David the Plankton, and uh, and I would get very emotional while singing it. And uh, I seem to remember the Harrogate Observer mm-hmm. crediting me his voice. I forget whether it was racked or cracked with emotion, but I, <laughs> I, I either was suitable. Anyway, what you got in your disgusting rucksack, to quote um, uh, 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 a your chore of a few months back? So avid listeners will remember that I was about to go and do a Marian programme up in Scotland with uh, Dunedin Consort, um, which happened, took place, nobody died. That was good. Um, really enjoyed it. Really, I mean, there's such a rich seam, isn't there, of that sort of repertoire. And I thought I'd bring a piece which was one of the newest pieces on the programme by old friend of the podcast, Cecilia McDowell, um, that she wrote for Nine Lessons and Carol's Kings in 2021. Now, two things about this. Firstly, there's obviously a lot behind that particular service, a lot of kind of baggage, if you will, disgusting rucksacks or otherwise. Um, but the other thing was that I found it a little bit moving to think about Nine Lessons during COVID, because, of course, it would have still been... 21 would have been Omicron terror, and they'd have been trying to record stuff against all the odds, as we all remember all too well. And it's a magical, I say little piece, it's not little really. It's quite simple, deceptively simple. Um, but very, very, if I can just find it, just a very simple, it's based on the, there's a setting of the There Is No Rose, the medieval lyric that we know from Ceremony of Carols or from the, the Jubair, I think is a famous setting of that. Um, a macaronic text, which is lovely. Two, two languages set at once. Um, and it's, it's, it's kind of it's one of those pieces that sounds harder than it is. It was really simple to put, put together, um, very user friendly, but very atmospheric, beautiful mystical harmony, and, a, and something about the atmosphere which I think is really special. 
Now, I can imagine people sitting there thinking, oh, he means it sounds a bit like Eric Whittaker, which it utterly doesn't. It's completely... I mean, there's obviously there's a lot of slow-moving Christmas around that sounds... that's written with that sort of framework mm-hmm. in mind. But this is just totally her and totally different. And isn't it interesting how some, a composer later in life, she talked about this on our previous version of the podcast, came to composing quite late. And she's getting better and better, as far as I can see. It's good, isn't it? I, t- I think a lots of things about experience that are kind of undervalued perhaps these days music history loves a prodigy doesn't it we love to think of Mozart thrilling the emperors and kings on his European tour Mendelssohn great prodigy but just as many great composers who really found their feet later in life Rameau who wrote his first opera I think when he was 51 um, and then wrote kind of 30 in 20 years um, all of which are full of staggering invention and, and beauty and frogs and frogs um, and take them off my thread there somewhat. Good. Well, while we're listening to this, people could be thinking about other composers that uh, that came to fruition uh, quite yeah. late. Well, two, two things. The, one is one is Jimmy Anderson, who's forty and still weaving magic spells with the cricket ball. You'll appreciate that. And the other is the the story about Pablo Casals, the great Catalan cellist, who a student asked him, "Why do you still practice so much? You're ninety five. You know, you've done everything there is to do." He says, "I think I'm making progress." I might finally be getting somewhere.
That's magic, isn't it? I mean, I just think it's really, really brilliantly written. It's the simplest of ideas, and it just allows she allows it to kind of germinate and flourish over the over the time. But it's very easy. It's very easy to put together as a performance. It's also, I think, a really listener friendly piece of music without condescending or patronising. It's completely convincing bit of writing beautiful textural interest and we were following the score uh, while listening to it uh, and and just lovely how, how she gets back to that mm. that final final um, return of the key again uh, the group uh, i think they're a sort of a group invented for oup is that it's likely isn't it the oxford choir with ben parry at the helm um, who we'll be talking to in a few weeks' time. Actually, we'll be talking National Youth Choir things. Lovely. Oxford University Press Music. So I think that was done as a sort of uh, show for one of their, their Christmas volumes. Christmas albums, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. That's good, isn't it? Um, I did Radio 3's CD release last week, and we talked about... <laughs> well, I just use it as a link to why we're now oh, going to yeah, start yeah, talking, yeah, about, talking about... Mont- <laughs> <laughs> Clang yourself. Um why we might talk about Monteverdi briefly, because there's a new recording of Orfeo out, mm. and there are lots of recordings of Orfeo, of course. Mm. Um, and I went back and I listened to the bit that we're just quickly going to look at, which is our favourite bit, the... What's well, Act 5, isn't it? The Thracian Fields. Thracian Fields. So this is post-party, post-hangover. Spoilers. He's been down to the underworld. Um, <laughs> what? <laughs> Isn't that right? I woke up this morning. Yeah, exactly. Good. So, Sammy, this is yeah. This is down to the underworld. He gets out again, uh, having looked back very unwisely, and he's he's thrown out. Only for, only for love of her does he look back. Seems kind of hard to punish him. Oh, an idiot, though. Yeah, I know. Yeah, one job. There's a <laughs> there's a good noise on this recording. Instead of there being a sort of terrifying sort of. Growing. It's just as if the stagehands have dropped a large box backstage. But actually, I listened to it with headphones on, and the whole thing is, is fantastic, amazing forward-forward movement. Yeah. Um, and, but it just got me thinking, because I think um, understanding of Monteverdi has moved on over 20 years. Mm. Um, there are two recordings I used to love. One is with uh, John Mark Ainsley, a hero, really, of mine, mm, singing absolutely. it. Um, also Ian Bostrich. Uh, it's a strange sound for the role it doesn't quite fit there but goodness he's got uh in in my uh, my opinion or, or taste it's all taste of course but he's got a certain amount of petulance which i always think orfeo should have he's a he's cross a lot of the time yeah, he's a young guy isn't he with all that all that all that kind of restlessness and yeah. impetuosity yeah. um but this recording just has something a little bit more it it's it's a sound that, that naturally sort of fits in this world. And it's a singer from, from outside our immediate tr- tradition of UK singers. It's a French singer. It sounds fantastic in Italian, but he's clearly had the same sort of background that you or me, lucky enough to sing in choirs. So he sang Macho, sang loads of uh, magicals, that kind of stuff. So he really hears his part against the continuo. And we're sitting here with a score. We're just going to show a couple of little things um, that we mean. It's not just that he hears his voice against the continuo. It's the fact that the continuo is not giving any quarter to the vocal part, which is something you and I know from the madrigals, that the bottom three parts provide really simple, normal root position chords most of the time, while the top parts are dissonant against it. Um, And one of the problems with... Um, one of the problems with, with performance in the past with this kind of stuff is the continual players sitting there trying to incorporate um, the, the, the melodic line and he takes away all that colour. So let's just hear a couple of those phrases. So here's the basic harmony for this one. This vocal part. So there's no question of going just holding that chord and I echo comes in That sort of thing. It's good, isn't it? 
are these lovely, rich, rich moments that is just a dissonant line on top. But what you get in this recording now is a sort of insistence by the continuer. Andrew Lawrence King is playing harp, who really likes to drive it on and, and, and give no quarter to the singer at all rhythmically, which is quite a, a strong view. I think in this recording is, there's actually a little bit more give and take than, uh, th than he might have liked. But what it means is that because the harmony is always... You know, if I play... We all know that this is coming, or... And that produces its own rhythm, the speed at which the harmony flows. And that's, I think, why Monteve is different from, from other composers, because his music's got such a dry harmonic drive to it. Other composers write, don't they? The other day I went down to the shops, saw my girlfriend, and then I went home. And during that hanging around, there's no, there's no under, underfloor heating, I was going to say. There's no internal rhythm. Um, so let's have a little bit of him really going for it. And he's, he's really pissed off, mm. I think. You wept when our delight had vanished. Shall I grieve you forever? He hears this echo picking up the end of his, uh, end of his chord. Sweet, lovable echo. You're disconsolate and you try to console me, though my eyes have become two fountains. Uh, but I couldn't shed enough tears, even if I had the eyes of Argus. So that's from the new recording of L'Orfeo, uh, recorded last year on the back of a production at the Opera Comique, and then they were due to do it at the Palais de Versailles, but they couldn't because of COVID, so they thought, we're all booked, uh, let's make a recording. And I'm sitting here thinking, you know, so what do you think of this recording I'm bringing to you? It turns out you've been on stage with them and done it. This is Jordi Saval and Le Concert des Nations and the tenor. Yeah, well, Marc Moyon is, that, is who we heard there singing Orfeo. Um, and we did it a couple of concert performances ahead of the production, which I didn't then do. But yeah, it's a, I think he's brilliant. I think his voice is it's exactly the right voice for the role, isn't it? That's so rare to find someone who's got the gravel at the top, at the bottom, and then the freedom at yeah. the top. Yeah, it's not easy, is it? I, I don't know. When I knew when I sang with Mark, he was calling himself a, a baritone, or maybe a, even baritone Martin, which is the sort of Pelias type. A high baritone called Martin. Exactly, a typical French baritone in lots of ways. Um, but I think I think it's absolutely his role. Yeah, I think he's he's very committed. Like I say, he's full of energy and anger and all the right sort of. You know, you and I always talk to our students about getting them to invest in it and embody the emotions, and he really does that, doesn't he? 
and this this drive. What what's it like being then with with that particular continuo group who've played it together for years? You you look back at that famous one of them and the Liceo where Jordi Savall walks down with the full Monteverdi yeah. the full Monteverdi cape on Batman. Um because that that sense of drive that I spoke briefly to Andrew Lance King about that the harpist who sort of really being one of the main characters in the revival and of he's early on the, hearts on the recording, isn't he? Yeah, very yeah. much. And he's got very strong ideas about how the pulse shouldn't be bent. Well, you and I mentioned just sort of off off air, if you like, that Monteverdi's music is as, as much about time as anything, and this sense that, particularly in his larger scale works, this sense that he's written in, he's baked into the music a sense of expectation and and surprise and fulfilment and all those kind of things. And that if you lose the, that sense of time beating cosmically, as, as it were, which is one of Andrew's terms. Cosmic. Then, then you lose a lot of the power of the music, I think. Of course, it's a piece about the power of music as well. Andrew is, uh, he's pretty um, strong in his opinions. but Hardline. Uh, yeah, you could say that. It's it? I think interesting talking, talking about him. He was saying, you know, the continual playing must drive on, and the singer like Ella Fitzgerald pulls it around. I mean, I don't think you can quite do that, and he hasn't quite done that. Here. I mean, he's a member of a team here, but there's actually just enough lassitude um, for the singer <laughs> to hang themselves with. There's just enough uh, pull, but that thing about the 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 dissonance being written just one side of the beat. And if you pull that, then you end up effectively with something on the beat. It's like seeing, and we get a lot of musical theatre singing up at University of York in exams. And there's a lot of, you know, with the pulse going, ba da da da, and if you sing, ba late, it comes, ba da 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 da, and you end up losing the effect that the composer's written in. Stephen Sondheim, very keen that his music should be performed uh, as notated. Um, I, th- I think there's a few things on that. The, uh, Andrew's hardline, but. Firstly, he's he's generally right, I think, about that about the sense of it being at least where you start from. You, you start with the music as written. I mean, why you wouldn't? I don't understand. Because people think it's restative. Exactly. I think is the yeah. is the worry, which is kind of extrapolating back from later music. This is related to madrigals. You just unlike most other composers who wrote madrigals and then tried to write in this style, he hasn't gone to simply writing chords. And with some restative over the top of it, he's kept the same harmonic processes, just ripped the middle three voices out. Yeah, and, and it, it, lots of people, I think, make the mistake that um, because it looks, because it's a bass line and a melody, if you like, it looks like Mozartian or Handelian recit. It's just not. It's a very different musical structure, isn't it? Um, the other thing about Geordie, obviously, they've he and they, his team, have lived with that piece for, I guess, upwards of 30, 40 years. There's nothing, you know, they've forgotten more than most of us know about it. And um, as a team, they're just brilliant because Andrew is quite, you know, relatively hardline, quite opinionated. Um, he's pretty strict on singers in rehearsal. Andrew, Jordy, keep, keeps his hands pretty clean on the whole. Um, but then you've got other members of the team who just kind of soften that, and it's it's a fantastic kind of organism, if you like, no pun intended, that works the continuum in that piece for him, uh, which I think is one of the things that makes that particularly successful. You can you can hear traces in here of of the operatic platform they're used to doing things and of course uh, there's very little time for the music in these kind of productions and as soon as the stage director gets hold of it you find yourself pulling things about and to have had that hard line to start with um, is, I, it's going to be pretty helpful I think absolutely oh good old Claudio marvellous um, you and I sing some Monteveni in a couple of weeks aren't we in our Angels and Demons yes we are programme uh, and then we're singing Cristoforo Carezana is that the Tarantella? Yes, that's the Tarantella, which is oh, Naples' right. sort of uh, pantomime, Monteverdi-style pantomime. This is down at Star Music. Uh, and then we're doing Juan Frances de Irribarren. <laughs> Vamos. 
Lovely. That's a fun piece, isn't it? The, it's a Christmas piece, I think. The entire programme is a Christmas. I just fancy doing Christmas programming you're, you're the in June. Of, well, you've just, yeah. you, you started it. You, you invaded Poland. No, you started it. You brought in a Christmas piece of, of um, oh, that's true. Uh, for this concert. But we lasted it. Uh, avid listeners will also remember we, we did that in Norway. Yes, in like, January. In January. Um, With a lot of snow. Snow, exactly. Yeah. How many Norwegian words are there for snow? Loads. One. Oh. That was Tom Guthrie saying that to Beata Eike on stage. And I believe you have more than 20 words for snow. And Beata says, no, just the one. Snow. <laughs> and if you like your snow, here's a fact that I've made up, but I think it's true. Having moved to York 11 years ago and hearing the er, no accent up there, I reckon that's Viking. Oh, I be. think that's Viking east of the country. People don't say, oh, they say, er, snow. This loops me back to a... a Slightly to the first piece we heard, which is the Norwegian chamber choir, and I used to do. Matt Long does it now, but I used to go and sing with a guy called Peder Rensvik in up in Kristiansund, which is the north of Norway. And his wife was called Margaret, lovely lady. Is called Margaret, should I say? Peder died recently, very sadly. Um, she's come out. She's from Middlesbrough, and to hear her speak English and Norwegian, it was it was never quite clear which one it was because they were so closely related in that particular personage. You get that in Newcastle sometimes. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, the, the Newcastle-Denmark collection. Yeah. Or once on a, on a plane from uh, Liverpool to Holland, I couldn't tell the person over the other side of Isle whether that was Liverpool or Dutch. Turned out to be Liverpool. We've had three Northern Irish um, altos in the 24th this term, which is fantastic. And we've been, you know, the word cloud came up. Cloyd. I wandered lonely as a cloud. Um, yeah, that's been fun doing diphthongs. I mean, they just they they just go straight into English vowel sounds. They've obviously been trained to when um, they sing. When they sing, yeah, okay. um, and that must be the same uh, as uh, well. Actually, you hear a lot with American choirs, and actually, hearing an American choir, there's a, a recording of Eric Whitaker's with the American University Choir, and it's really rather lovely hearing them doing their own vowels and not trying to to to, to sing English ones. Yeah. Where are we going next, then? What is next? Um, uh, oh, Victoria. Ah, yes. Yes. I will go and run about. So this is, uh, this is a setting of part of the Song of Songs. Um, v- Curious book. It's, it's a bit weird, isn't it? I mean, we, we love it because it's produced such fabulous music, but it's a slightly unsettling... It, it, it's in the Bible by mistake. Surely. I remember a, a, a monk telling me once that it's just erotic Hebrew wedding poetry and what it was doing in the Old Testament. But um, mind you, Thomas Aquinas would say you can read scripture in four ways, uh, only one of which is literal, which is probably just as well because this is erotic Hebrew poetry. This isn't too erotic until we start talking about fresh fruit. So the text is, shall we read the whole thing? Yeah, do Yes, I will rise and I will go about the city. In the streets and the broadways, I will seek him whom my soul loveth. I sought him, and I found him not. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, that you tell him that I languish with love. Quiamore langue, or Howard Ferguson, entire oratorio called Quiamore langue. Ah. And then the second part is, what manner of one is thy beloved that thou hast so adjured us? My beloved is white and ruddy. Oh, candidus et rubicundus. rubicundus. Um, something about crossing the Rubicon. Anyway, um, electus ex, mi- ex millibus, chosen out of thousands. Such is my beloved, and he is my friend, O ye daughters of Jerusalem. Whither is thy beloved gone, O thou most beautiful among women? Whither is he turned aside? And we will seek him with thee. And then for no apparent reason... I will go up into the palm tree... And we'll take hold of the fruit thereof. Ow. Yeah. Um, so this is, firstly, it's, it's worth saying that it's sort of excerpts grabbed from little bits. It's not a continuous passage. Mm. It's obviously a dialogue uh, in, in the text, which, is, which he's set in a sort of three upper voices, three lower voices way. We come back slightly to Monteverdi magicals in that sense. Um, and I just think it's an absolutely wonderful piece. Um, when we were preparing the... The, um, I use preparing in the loosest sense of the word, preparing the episode. Uh, we couldn't really find an ideal recording, it's fair to say, isn't it? No, I, we're looking at them. I mean, there, there's a, a Stile Antico one, which I think is 11 and a half minutes long. Uh, the, 
uh, Oxford Camerata, which is Jeremy Summerley's uh, group from the 90s with an unbelievable lineup of singers. Uh, they were... They were, I think, the same. So I went to the 16s, which is, I think, only eight and a half minutes. John Elliott Gardner managed to spin it out to 13 and a half. I sang that with him in Avila Cathedral, where there's a bit of graffiti on the stalls, which is Victoria's name, whether it's real or not. But that was, that was special. Because Although, yes, it was slow. Because he and uh, Vivanka were both choristers exactly. there. Um, um, so, the, yeah, they're all quite... The, there are slow ones, and in fact, the... Jeremy's Jeremy Summerlee's recording with the Oxford Camerata is also slow, but I for me I think it's I think it's one apart. It's got some sensational singing. I think um, it's probably not the tempo one would choose personally, but but they make it work, and really that's do. that's the thing you can make it work in the building. I don't know where they've recorded it, but there are also legends mm. singing on there. James Gilchrist singing tenor. James Gilchrist and Andrew Carwood on tenor. Andrew Carwood now the choir master at uh, St Paul's Cathedral. Carrot the great Caris Lane. Caris Lane. That, for me, absolutely distinctive sound as soon as it starts. Completely unmistakable, isn't it? Amazing on all those, all those early recordings with um, with Jeremy, um, and yeah, just it's a big piece. So it, like it, it's it takes its time to kind of unfold, like a flower, um, and some of the some of the word setting is almost baroque in its kind of sensuality and. Um, yeah, it's not straight polyphony, is it? It's kind of it's polyphony, but not as we know it, Jim. Yeah, exactly, and I think. Um, I think if one were to come to it now, I'm, I think further down the track I'm going to do it next year, um, it, one would want a balance of this kind of listening polyphony, sing, polyphonic singing and individual kind of emotionality in the singing, which is what we're so often after, isn't it? Or emotion. Yeah, emotionality is more syllables, though. So it must be better. Must be better. <laughs> Um, we're going we're gonna to finish with that. Uh, we, oh, we're terrible patting <laughs> ourselves on the back because we've actually got an episode out. We didn't mean to break for quite this long, um, but we've got a few episodes at least lined up mm. now. We hope we haven't recorded them yet, but we thought we ought to do one. Otherwise, um, uh, we wouldn't start again. Eamon will be back uh, with us shortly, and you're going to be talking to youths. You're going to be talking about youths and young voices. Yeah, I'm hoping to put together something about y- young um, unchanged voices and also changing voices and just talk to some professionals who deal with that um, such a sensitive thing and obviously it's always going to be the news it's particularly the news at the moment because um, Scott Price who I'm hoping will come and talk to us um, he has a boy at Cardinal Vaughan who's in the final of Britain's Got Talent at the moment so he's putting treble singing on the TV Malachi? Malachi, yeah he's a brilliant kid I mean, he's, he's lovely but he sings just so beautifully at the moment particularly I think I was telling you I did a, a, a Monteverdi Vespers with them last month. Yeah, gosh, it was that longer ago. And he sang Pulcheress as beautifully as one really has heard it. It's really sensational. Um, you know, the best treble singing is, 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 a, is an amazing thing, isn't it? And I'm hoping just to, ta- to pick Scott's brains and a couple of others about that. And Pulcheress will take us back to Vado, Vardam et Circuibo Civitatum. I will rise and go about the city, which I think in the uh, when it's not just select bits of uh, of the Song of Songs, but flows on, leads into a rather strange thing about being beaten on the head by the watchman. It rings uh, a bell, but... A bit unnecessary, and clearly Victoria thought so as well. Yeah, exactly. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye.
Just before you go, another reminder to try listening on Patreon, which costs just a few pounds per month. Or if you prefer, you can very simply make a one-off donation. You can actually do either via coralchihuahua.com. Thanks. <laughs>